video. <laughs> you know what I love about this gang right here? This gang knows every Sunday's Easter. This gang, this gang understands that when you woke up this morning and you opened your eyes and you saw the sunlight, you remembered he's not just alive, he's still alive. He still lives. He still reigns. He's still in control. No matter what you may see around you, Jesus reigns supreme. And today we get the opportunity to bow in his presence, to express our love to him, and to sing his name. We're going to start with a song that expresses so clearly what our beliefs are all about. These are the truths that we hold dear. And then we're going to go into just singing about the beautiful name of Jesus. Let's stand and sing together. The Apostle Paul writes the words that we who are alive right now on this earth see through a glass dimly. We got an idea, a a picture of what's on the other side, but it's as if if the glass is dirty, it's not polished, it's not clean, and we're, we're peering and we're trying to peek and we're trying to understand and see, but one day, one day that glass will be removed and there will be perfect clarity. One day, this group of people who love Jesus and have asked him to forgive their sins and lead their lives, one day this group of people is going to stand together in a section of heaven. And we're going to look up and we're going to sing this song. And we're not going to just imagine. And we're not going to peer through clouded glass. We're going to see your face. We're going to see your hands. We're going to see the holes in your hands. We're going to see your feet. And we're going to know that you're the one who died to give us eternal life. And it will be our great privilege to sing, I love you, I love you, I love you. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done for us. It's unimaginable the sacrifice you made for our sins. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. When we, uh, years ago, as a church, I've had the privilege of being a pastor at a fun time in the history of the American church, time that we were moving toward a transition from what a lot of people called traditional church to what people called contemporary church and all that kind of stuff and everything that went into it. And one of the pieces of a more contemporary worship style was that you were to make sure there were there were no spaces there were no gaps you know as a song was ending you made sure that the next person was up and ready to talk and there were just there were everything was seamless and it just it rolled along and that was that was just a huge principle that they were pushing and i think one of the things i've seen after after you know a couple of decades of that approach is that the lack of gaps also leaves us a lack of opportunity to breathe sometimes we need a gap sometimes we need enough of a pause to go and and then move on to the next thing and so one of the things we've intentionally built into our service is a pause a time to be quiet. I promise you, most people leading contemporary churches hear that we take a minute for silence and they go, you are totally messed up. Yeah, you don't know what you're doing. And, and some of you may think the same. Whatever. <laughs> but see, I kind of believe in the Bible. And the Bible says in Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Some things cannot be known until you stop. 
Some things cannot be known until you choose to be quiet. There are things that cannot be known about God and about ourselves until we stop and are quiet. And so we take this pause every week. It's part of our looking up. We've been looking up this year. It's an opportunity to look up to God and just be quiet in his presence and to know that he is. And then we continue into communion and we walk to these uh, tables at the front and the back. We have the gluten-free stations on the side and, and we get the chance to then continue the silence. Just because music's playing, it doesn't mean it's time to go ahead and you know, have a little neighbor chat or something like that. We continue listening, not only listening to the words of a song, but listening to what God is speaking into our hearts in this place. We gather here believing God is here. And he has something to say. And we can't hear it if we're not quiet. So let's be quiet right now. Let's just be quiet. And then we'll come out of that silence and move toward communion and hear a beautiful song of invitation to just come. Come to the altar. Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me and I will give you rest. And continue that silence of soul that listens to what God has to say today. So this morning, you got your copy of the links in the mail. If you have that, you can open it up right now. Servers are coming to receive the offering. And uh, you ran a long race yesterday. How long did you go? Uh, 13.1 miles. But there's a really important fact about that particular race. How you doing, Jason? Ha ha! Jason got beat for the first time in his life. Finally. How'd that feel? After four good? long years of trying to beat Jason Barton, I finally course, snuck it out because, Jason, because he, had a, t he had a bad day and I beat him by like 30 seconds. So <laughs> I had my best day ever. And yes, so finally, no, I'm joking. So yeah, no. Still, great th job. <laughs> thanks, thanks for the comedy. We appreciate that. <laughs> the funny part is, if it, Brian sent me a picture of him racing... And if you look at the picture, there's like this 85-year-old lady right here behind him. And there's this guy a little chubbier than me on this side. And I'm like, you did not run fast. But apparently those were the people that ran like yeah, they, four steps or something. And they had all of they you They run a bunch of races together, at once so. and then they all merged at the end. So yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the 10K racers, the end of the 10K race, were finishing at the same time. So you got all the half marathoners like, you know, dipping and diving and diving. I can't believe I can do that today. Like, <laughs> it's a good race. So we've got some uh, things going on. Let me, let me hit one before I forget. I'm, I'm, so we put off the canal cleanup because, like, they scheduled it for Easter weekend, you know, and we kind of had things going on. <laughs> and so we scheduled it for this weekend, and I'm going, like, snow? Are you <laughs> kidding me? Are you kidding me? But the, my, my, my app says it's going to be 56 and sunny, <laughs> and says, I don't even I'm... look at the sky anymore. This tells me everything. So I'm believing what this says. So today at 3... We're going to gather down at the canal to do our cleanup. And if you need to know how to get there on the links, if you just go ahead and hit the link next to it, it'll give you the map. We meet down uh, at the end of Hansel right there at the McClendon, uh, the McClendon entrance. That so. is a really fun time, too. <clears throat> so if, you, like, if you're trying to get your hands ready for Green Lake, you know, like yeah, actually, right, actually right. using them for something right. other than this yeah. or this, you know, or this, like, yeah. Come on down today. And we provide the grub, the, the yeah. grubs. We provide the gloves, <laughs> no grubs. and the uh, and the garbage bags. So anyway. speaking of gloves, uh, it was pretty cool this week. I <clears throat> flew.
flipping through Instagram, and I see that you found a glove yeah. up at Green Lake this yeah, week. Someone yeah, someone left their glove behind. I also found one of my sledgehammers <laughs> sitting right where we did one of our jobs, so it's great, yeah. So clearly, yeah. They're, they, they left that there specifically so you would find it to let us yes. know that they still need help. Uh, uh, lots uh, of help. <laughs> lots of projects to be done. Lots. This week, we have two major deadlines, and one of them is Green Lake. Tuesday night at midnight will be the final opportunity uh, for you to sign up. So in between now and Tuesday at midnight, we need to get signed up. Otherwise, there's like, there's no, there's no like last minute. Hey, oh, I forgot. No, we've been telling you for months now. Uh, so please, um, please get signed up. And if again, if it's something that you've been putting off because of payment or something like that come talk to me right after the service. I'll be up here by this communion station. Uh, I would love to have those conversations uh, because, again, I, we don't want any kid not to go to Green Lake as mm-hmm. a result of not being able to pay for it. Mm-hmm. So please, mm-hmm. please don't let that be an excuse. Uh, humble yourselves. Come talk to me. Uh, I, just, I really, again, want to encourage you um, to, to come with us this year because it's so, it's so incredibly powerful, the, the transformation that we see in kids. Again, the, if it's their first trip away from home, like the, the growth that they have over the course of this week, growing, getting over homesickness, uh, along with the transformation and learning how to work and being excited about work, uh, along with all the fun and the friendships and the, the ability that we have to build into, into our students and start getting those relationships rolling so that we can teach them about Jesus. Is, it's just it's an incredibly unique experience. So that closes Tuesday night at midnight. Tuesday the night other close Tuesday night is some Quest stuff, right? Yeah, so if you, have, if you are wanting to help out with Quest, if you're an adult or a student who's looking to get involved in one of those teams, you need to have your application in by Tuesday night at midnight because those teams are going to be finalized here. Uh, the cool thing is as the, as the staff registration ends this Tuesday at midnight, the uh, kid registration opens up at 12.01. So uh, mm-hmm. if you put it off to the last minute, you can kind of time this out perfectly. You can put your, you can put your adult registration in at like you know, 11.59 and then register your kids at 12.01. Uh, really looking forward to an amazing year of Quest. Uh, yeah, that's me, the procrastinator to me. Uh, but uh, really looking forward to an amazing year of Quest. So again, if you would like to be involved in any way, shape, or form in helping uh, one of our teams, please uh, get your application in by Tuesday. So we've got some cool invite cards made up for that that you'll be able to get next week. And we'll also, we'll send you an email with the registration link, and you can go ahead and forward that to people so that they can go ahead and get registered. I think the main thing we need to stress is we really need small group leaders. So if you've been thinking about being a small group leader, get signed up for that. We can only have as many kids as we have small groups, and we call them small groups for a reason. There aren't 35 people with a, with a, with a leader, so... Um, we need small group leaders. Make sure you get, get signed up for and that. That'll grow you. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that, oh, yeah. yeah. If, you, if you haven't spent an entire week with kids that age, like, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a wildly humbling and, and fun experience. So yeah. please, yeah, try That's it out. That's great. Is there anything else? Uh, we're back to normal student schedule. So tonight, okay. Revive, Wednesday, Refuge, it's all good stuff right now. Good deal. Thanks so much. Yep. Good, good. Yeah, I, I'm looking at this uh, weather forecast unfolding. I don't know about you. I've been, I've been trying to push God a little bit and say, no, really, it's spring. So I went and bought plants. I've got them sitting there. I'm like, maybe I should put them out. Maybe I should just say I'm doing it. I've been wearing shorts. I've been getting rid of the coat, doing everything to say to God, it is time. Do you get it? Come on, it is time. And then I see this forecast of snow, and I'm like, are you kidding me, really? And I know some of you were there, too. 
winter 2019 is going to be officially declared the winter that would not end. It's going to be May this week, and it's still feeling like, I think somebody wrote yesterday, uh, January 139th or something like that. The cold just continues and continues. It won't let go. And to be perfectly honest, it reminds me a little bit of what we're going to be talking about this morning. Today we're moving into really the final section of our walk through the Old Testament. And today we start looking at the last part of the, of the Old Testament. So you have, if you look at a Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew Bible divides this down into, into the writings and the law. So it starts with the law and then the writings and then finally the prophets. And if you've ever spent time reading through the writings of the prophets, it feels a little bit like a winter that will not end. You just kind of keep reading and reading and wondering, when will spring come? When will hope emerge? When will we finally be able to breathe again? Because the, the season of the prophets is very heavy. We move, we start actually with the book of Isaiah and then continue on through the end. Now we're not going to be looking at the message of literally every prophet. We're, we're going to just hit some highlights some of the themes that they taught so that we can understand this particular part of the Bible and how it comes together. The prophets had basically two major roles. When I say prophet or prophecy, my guess is that you think in terms of prediction. You think of people that predict something, tell something about the future. And that was a piece of what the prophets did. They were predictors. They would talk about the future. Sometimes it was the future of what was going to happen literally just a short time away. Other times it was a prediction of thousands of years later and the coming of Jesus and, and, and things that were still have not even yet unfolded. So you have this predictive element of the prophets that we might call foretelling. Prophets were foretellers. And part of the reason for their foretelling was uh, not just to say kind of magically, look what I know that you don't know. Part of the reason that they foretold was to authenticate both the message and the messenger. It's a way of saying, I'm telling the truth. And so let's say today in this particular sermon, if I were a prophet, I'd say, now you'll know this is true because Tuesday it is going to be 85 and sunny. And if it was 85 and sunny, you'd say, he was a righteous, true prophet. And if it was more like yesterday, you'd say, he's a worthless prophet. And the Bible basically said, the way you know that a prophet is a true prophet is that his prophecies come true 100% of the time. They don't have a 333 batting average, and we call them good. 100% of the time, they told the truth. Now, why was that important? Because the Bible as a whole did not exist yet. And so a prophet needed to be able to say, here's how you know that I am telling the truth and that I am truthful. This is what's going to happen. Uh, these days, what I say is, look here. Look here. Look at what the Word of God has to say. Just like the Bereans. The Bereans, they test the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, the man who wrote Romans, right? And they're saying, we're going to look at Scripture to find out if what Paul has to say is true. So we don't need foretelling the way that the prophets foretold. The other piece, though, of the prophet's job, and it's really the more major part of their role, is forthtelling. Forthtelling. They declare a hard message. Thus saith the Lord, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. 
In Hebrew, they would use the word shuv. Shuv means repent. In Greek, it would be metanoia, change, change direction, change the way you're going. A prophet's job was to say, this is the area that we're living in sin, and we need to turn toward God. We need to turn back. And different prophets had different roles of prophecy. Uh, Some would give a prophecy with the opportunity to repent, to change. So you have Jonah, for example. Jonah's supposed to go and talk to Nineveh. And, of course, we know he rejects going for a while, and then he does go, and he declares the message, and they all repent. They turn back to God. And you see that role of prophets sometimes, that it's their job to say, this is what you're doing, and it needs to change, or else. You have the role of a prophet like Moses, who said, if you do righteous if you live righteously, you will live in the land. If you live unrighteously, you'll be removed from the land. So it was, a more, it was a more generic prophecy, a prophecy that basically said, this is what's going to happen if. And then you had a handful of prophets whose job was not to say repent or else. It was to say it's or else time. You have not repented up till now. That would be Jeremiah, for example. Jeremiah is viewed as kind of a traitor among the people because he says, just lay down your weapons, don't even fight. It's over. 70 years of captivity is coming. You might as well just go ahead and give in because this is what's going to happen. This is what we're moving into. We're moving into the end of the Bible as we, at, at the end of the Old Testament as we look at the different messages and themes of the prophets as they emerge. I wonder sometimes where the prophetic voice is in America. You know, I really do. I, I think we've, we've had an era of, of church messages that talk about, you know, three ways to have a great marriage and five ways to talk better to your kids and all this. kind. Where's the prophetic message that says this is where we're living the wrong way and if we do not turn, we're going to have a problem. Where is that prophetic message? I believe God has a prophetic message for us to say, draw near, repent, return back to the heart of God. Very, very important message for all of us. So today we're going to turn to Isaiah. Isaiah is a long book, second longest book in the Bible, 66 chapters. We will not cover all 66 today. Uh, beautiful message. A lot of Isaiah's message is not just prophecy about the nation, but it's prophecy about Jesus. Some of the most beautiful Christmas passages that we use come from the book of Isaiah. And honestly, some of the most difficult Easter messages we have come from the book of Isaiah. He was predicting the coming of a Messiah. But there's, there's a part of his message that is just, it's incredible and it's beautiful. And I, I, I don't want us to miss it. It's found in Isaiah chapter 6. You see, every one of the prophets was called by God to a task. They're called by God to a mission. We have Jonah's calling, right? Go talk to Nineveh. Nope, I'm, I'm, I'm heading out. I'm not doing this. We have Jeremiah's call where, where he says literally, before I was even out of the womb. You had called me to this task. And then we have the beautiful call given to Isaiah in chapter 6, where where God invites him to come and be part of his mission. And, And yet, as we look at that call, I think what we see, what we see here is a piece of what worship is all about and what worship looks like. 
the kind of the elements of what we should engage in on a regular basis. I'm not saying it'll happen every time, okay? I think there are different styles of worship. There are different things that we have to uh, deal with in worship at different points. Let me give you an example. Years ago, I was telling a person a story this, uh, not too long ago. Years ago, we went through a, a dreadful week, a really, really dreadful week with a family that was just... Um, Tragic is not, it's not a strong enough word to describe what they had been through. And we walked through a week with them that was just, it was vile, and it was dark, and it was horrible. And uh, back then, I used to, midweek, go to a larger church and, and just enjoy being there for worship. I'd listen to the music, and I'd listen to the preaching, and I just, it was time for, for a pastor to sit and just be part of the congregation and, and, and hear from God. And I walk in that night, and I can still remember where I'm standing. I can still remember who I'm standing with. And they started singing a song that, that was kind of popular back late 90s, early 2000s. It was, it was a happy, bippy, sort of upbeat song. You know, I'm, I'm trading my sorrows. I'm trading my pain. I'm trading it all for the joy of the Lord. And then the chorus. This is a complex chorus. Listen, you'll want to be able to quote this one. Yes, 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 Lord. Yes, 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 Lord. Yes, 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 Lord, amen, all right? And we're singing this thing, and it's going, and I am just standing there, and I'm sure everybody's looking, and they're going, they brought a pagan to church tonight, because I'm just standing there, and, and there's this thing inside of me building, and I wanted to scream, I wanted to scream, how can you people be happy? I wanted to scream, how in the world can you be cheerful? Don't you know how messed up the world is? Don't you know how awful it can be? I, I just wanted, I wanted, what I wanted that night was a good old-fashioned lament. I wanted to rip my clothes and put on the, 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 the ashes and say, this is a terrible place to live. And I just wanted to cry. We need that opportunity in worship sometimes. We need the opportunity to lament. And I know part of the difficulty we have is everybody walks in with their stuff, Right? It's kind of hard to program everybody's stuff into a worship service. We'd be all over the map. Lament, happy, boom, boom, boom. We're going, we're going all over the place, right? We have different things that happen at different times in worship, but there are some basic elements that will happen more often than not. And Isaiah shows us what they are. So let's look at this passage. Isaiah chapter 6, starting with verse 1. It says, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty, mighty seraphim, and they had six wings. Two covered their face, two covered their feet, and with two they flew. And they're calling out to each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. All the earth is filled with his glory. And it says their voices shook the temple to its foundation. Bob tries to do that with the bass. But here these guys are. It shook the temple to its foundation. And the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, this is Isaiah. It is all over. I am doomed. Boom. I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live with people with filthy lips, and I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. 
Then one of the seraphim came flying toward me with a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs, and he touched my lips. Just let that sink in for a moment, okay? And he said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom shall I send as a messenger? And who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Here I am. Send me. Beautiful picture. Heavenly picture. A picture that we need to understand a little bit before we can really get a full grasp of what's happening in the elements of worship here. You look at that first part and it says, in the year King Uzziah died. Why is that significant? For, for the Israelites, for these people, for, for, for Isaiah to say, in the year King Uzziah died, would be like me saying today, in the year John Kennedy was shot. And most of us know that is the year I was born. So, 1963, there it is, right? In the year King Uzziah died, significant. This guy reigned for 52 years. Most of the people had never known a different king. This was their king. He was, he was their cornerstone, their touchstone. This was the man who they related to as being the face of their nation. And he was a mighty military warrior. He built up the army. He, he invented great tools of warfare that were advanced for their time. He fortified the city of Jerusalem so that the people were finally not under attack. But not only that, you Uzziah was, he was an amazing spiritual leader. This is one of those leaders about which it says he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. He's a cornerstone for the nation. When he says in the year King Uzziah died, much like those of you who are alive when John Kennedy was shot, these people remember, I remember the day Uzziah died. I remember the day I heard the news. Oh, that's when it happened in the year King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord. And where is he? He's seated in this lofty throne room. And these I'm just imagining these, these ethereal robes flowing all over the room. They're just beautiful. And then we see these mighty seraphim. What is up with that? Seraphim are a kind of angel. You have cherubim, seraphim, you have angels. It's funny, the angels that we often think of don't have wings. I know some of you are going, what? Now you've got to break them off the thing in your manger. And Most of the time when an angel appeared, people thought it was a person. Would you think it was a person if all of a sudden somebody went, whoom, whoom. no, you go, what in the world? Where'd you get those? I want some of those, Walmart. No. So anyway, of course, they don't have wings, but some of them were winged, angel, were winged creatures. And the creatures were the seraphim. Six wings, not two. With two, they're hiding their face. They, they're not going to look on the holiness of God. And with two, they're covering their feet in humility, and two are just flying around the room. Seraphim, Fim, F-P-H-I-M, that's the plural, Hebrew plural, Hebrew plural. For us, we'd say seraphs, but not them, seraphim. It's the way of saying there were a bunch of them. There are a bunch of them, and they're flying around the throne room, and their, their singular role is to just always worship God, 
To always be present worshiping God. To always be present saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And, and what happens as they sing? The whole place is shaking. The building is filled with smoke. It's an amazing, incredible, intense moment. And in that moment, what does he say? In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord first element of worship. Real worship encounters God. Every time real worship encounters God. I don't know what you judge a good worship service, you know, what your, what your little scorecard is. Oh, they sang one of my favorite songs today. Check. They sang two of my favorite songs today. Check, check. Oh, Dennis, he, he seems prepared today. Check. Um, <laughs> You know, you kind of got your things. You got your things, like the lighting, check. You know, didn't like the lighting, re-raise. You got your things that you say, this is what makes for good worship. There's only one thing that makes for good worship was God there. I know God's present everywhere, right? God is present everywhere, but we don't always know it. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 28, Jacob lays down. I always get a kick out of this part. He puts his head on a stone to sleep. What was he thinking? That is going to lead to nothing but bad dreams. But anyway, he puts his head down to sleep, and he has a a phenomenal dream. Maybe we should all try sleeping on a stone. He, He has a phenomenal dream, a dream of a ladder and angels ascending, descending, up and down, to and from heaven. Beautiful dream. And he wakes up from the dream, and you know what he says? Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. I'm afraid that's most of our worship experiences. God was there? Where? Missed it. The best of worship experiences are when we can say, I was with God, and God was with me. I knew it. I knew it. I knew he was here today. Real worship, true worship encounters God. Now, think about this tremendous worship experience that that Isaiah is having, and he's hearing these words, holy, holy, holy. Have you ever wondered why they repeat holy, holy, holy? Why three times? Why is it enough to just go, holy? Wouldn't have made for a great hymn, right? Holy. What? Where are the other parts? We we need those three. We need the, what's the trio about? We might say, well, it's about the Trinity, one for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I think it really comes down to this. If you look at the Hebrew language, there is no punctuation. There are also no vowels in ancient Hebrew, only consonants. And all the words are basically based on three consonants. You don't have an exclamation point. For us, a couple exclamation points and an emoji or two. Hey, this is fun, right? They didn't have Hebrew emojis. How do you do this? You repeat. Holy, holy, holy. Don't miss it. Holy, holy, holy. And it isn't amazing that he doesn't say loving, 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 or just, 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 or good, good, good. Why holy, holy, holy? Because holiness encapsulates everything about who God is. And so what is Isaiah's reaction? That was an amazing song. Or did you feel the ground shake? Or I love when they do the smoke and the way it goes through the lights. It's really cool. No, what's his reaction? It's all over. I am ruined. I am a sinful man. He encounters God. And what does he do? I'm messed up. I am so messed up. 
holy, holy, holy. I am not holy, holy, holy. I am so messed up. Real worship exposes me. When I've really worshipped, I learn something about me. Now granted, it's not always an exposure of my sin. That night that I'm singing, uh, what was being exposed in me was I was in grief. I was in deep grief, and I wasn't ready to be cheerful in that moment. I learned something about me. Something was exposed about me when I was in the presence of God that night with other believers. What does God expose of you when you come to him in worship? What do you learn about yourself when you come to him in worship? What do you learn about yourself when you hear the words, holy, holy, holy? Do you ever find yourself saying, I am a complete mess? I am just so dirty. And as Isaiah said, and so are these people with me. (laughs) We're a mess. We're a mess. Real worship just exposes me. It shows me what's really going on in my heart. It doesn't cause me to walk away and go, that was, wow, that was just a really great day. Love that one. Gold star. It causes me to walk away and say, I've learned something about me. And you know what? I didn't really like what I learned didn't really like the message. So then we have this next part that this seraph, which I'm sure already he's going, six wings. Wow, never thought of that. Six wings, boom. This thing is flapping toward him. And it's coming toward him. And he's he's got tongs and a hot coal. Let me ask you, someone's coming toward you with tongs and hot coal. What do you do? What do you do? Uh, run, right? I'm not sticking around for this. Are you kidding me? I don't care if it's a dream or not. Some of my best running happens in my dreams. <laughs> Some of my worst running happens in my dreams too. Have you ever had that mud? You're trying to, anyway. I'm running. I am running. I'm not sticking around for this. I'm not going to find out if my lips are going to burn off or my head's going to blow up or what's going to happen. He's coming toward him with this coal. And what does Isaiah do? He just receives it. He, he passively receives it. He lets it happen. Real worship always embraces life change. It is not enough to have my sin exposed and just sit there for the rest of the week going, I'm a mess, I'm a mess, I'm a mess, I'm just a mess, what a mess. What next? What am I supposed to do with the mess? And what I love is, from the passage I'm getting, there's not a lot I do except receive what God has to send me. Receive what God has to give me. Receive the hot coal on my lips. Let him be the one to purify me. Receive the purification of my sin. Receive it. Are we willing to receive whatever it is God is sending our way to change us? I suspect there's a list of things that we go, God, you can do this, I'll be okay with that. And there's a list of things that we say, God, over my dead body. Never give him that option, by the way, but over my dead body. Don't you dare. I don't want to have to go through that. I, I know, no. Are you willing to receive whatever God is sending your way to change you? Even if it's miserable. Even if it's hard even if it's ugly, even if it's going to involve having to, to confess. 
having to come clean? No matter, are you willing to do whatever it takes to receive that purification from God that he wants to give you? It is only then, only after he receives that life change that he can hear the message that's coming and hear it personalized for him. The Lord asks, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? Real worship always invites me to accept God's assignment. That's why I love the words of the song during communion. The song we'll sing at the end, come to me, come to the altar, come. God, God's an inviting God. Like we talked about last week with, with Jesus and Peter and the fish, Jesus has already got the meal together. And what does he say? Bring some of your fish too. He's always inviting. He's always inviting us to be, to be part of his mission in the world. He's always inviting us to be there with him in whatever he's doing. An invitation is given. An invitation to join God in his work in the world. You see, there should be a part of, of worship that doesn't just stay here in the room. There should be a part of worship that says, huh, God wants me to do something with this. God, God wants me to go somewhere with this. God has something for me in this. And it is then, it is then, that he's able to say those final words. Here I am. Send me. Can you imagine everything he's just seen and experienced? This throne robe, this flowing robe, these, these flying seraphim, holy, 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 shaking temple, smoke-filled room, fiery coal coming toward his mouth. And now the invitation is given and he goes, I'll do it. Here I am. Send me. Real worship moves me. Now I know a lot of times when we think about being moved, we think of an emotional, oh, that, felt, that was good worship. That, that was rich, you know. I, I really felt that. That was I was moved. No, real real worship moves us. Real worship gets us going. Real worship takes us somewhere. Real worship doesn't just hear the invitation, whom shall I send and whom shall go for us? Wonder who's gonna say yes. I'll do it. Here I am. Send me. All these are the pieces of what should be happening on a consistent basis in our worship. We should be encountering God. We should have the reality of our condition exposed. We should be embracing true life change. We should be hearing the invitation of God. And we should be accepting the call. We should be moved. We should be on mission. We should be on task. The team come up here and we're going we're gonna to close in a song together. A song of invitation. A song to be able to worship our God together. And as they do, let me, let me just bring this, this piece this piece to a close. You're thinking, I should be encountering God in worship. And I've got to be honest, I don't know that I ever have. Or maybe I do very occasionally. What's up with that? You know, I, I think a big piece of encountering God is the anticipation we bring to the table. Are, are you one of those people that you don't have a birthday, you have a birthday month? And you start planning for your birthday month about four months before your birthday? 
I mean, anticip- you're just, you're building, building, building. You, maybe there's an event coming up and, and it's about four months from now and you like talk about it every day and you got little signs around the house and all these things. To, maybe there's a countdown or something. You're, you're just building up. You're ready for it. You're excited. You can't wait. Have you ever had something really great happen but you didn't know about it ahead of time? You walk in and you realize the party's for you and at first you're going, huh, what, huh, huh, oh, oh, oh for me? Oh. Oh, oh, ooh, oh, am I dressed right? Anything on my teeth? Um, you know, it takes, a, it takes a few moments to adjust that something good's happening, right? To where when you know it's coming, when you know it's coming, you walk in going, I'm ready for this. You see, I'm just suspecting that if you're staying up till two in the morning Saturday night, you're probably not encountering God on Sunday morning at nine o'clock. You might be having a really good nap while I talk, but you're not encountering, because you're not ready for it. You're, you're, you're exhausted. Or, or you're coming to church expecting to get your entire fill-up of the Bible for the week right now. Instead of actually spending time with God every day in prayer, in the Word, getting to know Him. It, you're not going to encounter God if you don't show up expecting to encounter God. There's got to be a sense of, act- of anticipation that I'm going to encounter God today. There are some other pieces we've already talked about. It. If I'm walking around in a state of perpetual sin, God may say, for a little while, we're just not going to talk. I want you to feel the silence so you know something is wrong. Or maybe you know what's wrong, and, and it's time for the life change, and you're going, next year, next month, tomorrow, later. And you know, I really believe God, with his spirit, we quench the spirit enough that the spirit says, I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait. Maybe he's extended a call, and you keep looking around the room and saying, who's going to do that? Who's going to do that? And God's saying, why should I call you to anything else? I already called you once. You're not listening to that. You see, I really think that this whole idea of entering into worship involves this, the constant steps of obedience in the same direction with him. One step at a time. Not, not a marathon. <laughs> one step at a time. One step at a time. One step at a time. And as we're unfolding those single steps along the way, we find ourselves coming to these places that we recognize we're actually in the presence of God in this moment. I want you to stand. And we're going to sing together a song that invites us, invites us to the altar. I want you in this moment to just, if you can, create that picture in your mind of that heavenly throne room, of that flowing robe, of, of the flying seraphim, of the shaking room and the loud voices, holy, 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 and the smoke. Let's hear these words and receive the invitation of God to be with him today. And that invitation may mean that there's some things that need to happen. It's time to give up my lifestyle of sin. It's time time to start making the move toward God. It's time to accept the call. Maybe in this song you'll say, God, here I am. Here I am. I'm ready. Let's sing together. like you to, again, picture yourself in the presence of God. 
And I'd like you to leave and, and sit with one of these handful of short prayers this week. Maybe if you, as you've heard this today, your prayer is, God, help me to be more aware of your presence. You're there, and I don't always know it. Maybe your prayer is, God, I am undone. <laughs> oh, my sin, it's such a mess. There's a realization in you, and it just won't let you go. Don't ignore it. Maybe your prayer is, okay, here comes that hot coal. And I'm going to receive it, whatever it is, because I want to change. I'm ready for whatever you're bringing, God. I'm ready. Maybe your prayer is, what do you want me to do? You have a mission in the world. What, what is it? I want to know. Or maybe your prayer is you've been telling me for days or months or years what I'm supposed to do, and I keep looking around the room waiting for someone else to raise their hand. Here I am, God. Send me. Take your prayer with you this week. Talk to God with sincerity. Talk to this God whose train of his robe fills the temple with glory. Flying seraphim, singing beautifully, shaking room in smoke. And that God, that God loves you. Amen. Enjoy the week. Our Father is